welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. There you go. Over to you, Mariana. Okay. So the deep work by Carl Newport. I'll, I'll start the review of the book with a story of the young graduate, Jason Ben, who graduated from the University of Virginia. And like most of graduates, he had a lot of ambition for his career. So he was happy to find an employment pretty quickly after his graduation. However, a few weeks in his job in the company that was providing the complex reporting to the financial system, more precisely to the banks, um, he realized that actually 90% of his job was to do with crunching numbers, copying and pasting, researching and filling in the sheets. Uh, and as much as information was complex and was taking him seven hours to do, it was actually repetitive. And because it was repetitive, the, uh, the young graduate um, was able to open up a few knowledge articles, read a little bit about macros, automation that doesn't require coding, and he was able to actually automate his work and reduce seven hours that he was doing uh, daily into just one hour where he hits the button and all the work is done for him. So with that great start, you'd be thinking, okay, so, you know, this guy is really, really skilled now and uh, he, he's set for success. Um, it wasn't the case because um, there wasn't really much else for him to do and he was spending the 90% of his time just browsing the internet now that his work was done. And um, he wasn't happy with this because he, he, he just couldn't imagine, you know, the skills of Excel and macros will, will get him far in the world. And, and he, he didn't want to be called just the human Excel spreadsheet. So um, he took the drastic measures. He announced to his parents that he's moving in back into his bedroom because he's quitting the job. He's not happy with the job and he's going to learn coding. So the, the problem with that was that Jason didn't know much about the coding and uh, Carl Newport writing this book, he's the young professor um, who is the professor of the of the computer science. So he does explain that coding is not something that you can just learn in the <laughs> weekly course after reading a couple of articles. So um, that was his first problem. Um, second problem, his focus. His focus wasn't good and he knew that himself because from uh, web browsing from instant destruction you know he couldn't really concentrate for long he, he had an opportunity during the this first employment where he could have written the, the business plan he didn't have much experience with it he went to do the research but again he was distracted he just uh, he couldn't he couldn't press on with that so he, he kind of lost that opportunity to upgrade his skills so the, uh, what he decided to do um, was to lock himself in the bedroom with zero distraction, just the textbooks, highlight, a flashcard, the things that worked for Jason Ben, And that's exactly what he did. So uh, beginning was tough as usual, but then as he persevered, he could actually maintain his focus for longer and longer. And it 
got to the point that he actually managed to accomplish quite a lot and he was able to maintain focus to the maximum human capacity, which is about four hours per day. So with that, um, he got himself signed into the coding boot camps. They're very famous for teaching people to code very quickly. However, they're extremely demanding and the rate of success is quite low. You know, in his camp, there were only, very, there were only about 50% that managed to graduate. Well, Jason Ben was one of the graduates, thanks to his newly learned skill of focusing deeply on what he needed to get done. He was top of the class. He got a job very swiftly in one of the startups in San Francisco as the developer coder. And uh, his new income was $100,000 starting salary. And um, it was only starting with no limits uh, to grow. Versus as a financial consultant that he was originally hired, uh, $40,000. So just in six months, Jason Band was able to increase his income by 60% by improving the ability to focus. And that's essentially the story that, in my opinion, demonstrates very well the, the core of Carl Newport's book um, of the importance of deep focus. When I say deep focus, um, to define um, the term that, that is pretty self-explanatory, um, Carl Newport, by the way, coined this, this, this term. Um, what this is, is when we are able to maintain undistracted, undivided um, attention, our focus on whatever that we need to learn or do that produce the value and that is not easy replicable. So it can be replicatable, replicate easy. So um, deep work would be would be uh, opposite to the shallow work where um, we can, you know, somebody else can do that type of work we are doing that is called shallow. Usually it's, you know, to do with emails and kind of easy work that does not require our undivided attention. So how I'm going to review this book, um, Carl written book in two parts. The first part is to do with him persuading how important the deep work is in the new information type of economy we live in. Um, how difficult it is for most of people and how um, challenging it's becoming for, for majority of the people. And also how, how fulfilling the deep work actually is. So that's the, the first part of the book that I will get through. And the second part of the book is actually how we do the deep work. So, so um, Cal Newport is, is sharing uh, four rules, um, tactics to improve our deep work, our focus. So with the, with the rule, with the idea one, um, where deep work is valuable, that Jason Ben's example illustrates, um, the second idea is, if it is that valuable in the, in, the, in the new economy, new information economy, where technology is changing so quickly that we need to learn con constantly and be on top of the things in our field, the question is, um, why is that not everyone doing it. Well, not everyone doing it because it's actually <laughs> extremely challenging. It's, it's, very, it's very hard. Um, and it's hard down to the number of facts. Um, one of them, and 
and I quite often see and try to correct people because I've heard about the Sophie's Leroy experiment professor from Minnesota about the multitasking. Um, I still hear myself a lot of people wearing this multitasking as a badge of honor. You know, I can do the multitasking. I can do. I can be in the meeting and can be doing something else. Well, not in my meeting. I actually in my meetings I don't allow. I refuse if somebody is just typing and we have to engage in brainstorming because this is just not doable. Um, what Sophie Leroy did, she did experiment. She got um, uh, she got two groups working on task A um, and then she got one group um, working on task B. And when she asked the, the, the group B to switch from task A to task B, they actually were not as productive as the group who were allowed to finish working on the tasks that they were working. Mm -hmm. So when you switch from one task to another, you still have a residue of your attention in the in the first task. And that's what Sophie proven very well. This, 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 the, her experiment is well described in this book. So back to idea two, it, it is, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult. Um, a lot of people trying to multitask and then the, the open offices idea, which is actually something that we don't have to suffer right now. And, you know, from my side, I was literally wearing my Bose uh, nose cancelling headsets and open offices because I couldn't do the, the deep work when there's a commotion, people asking me questions and stuff. So it, I'm totally behind it. So open offices do not allow us to, to do the deep work. And uh, very interestingly, the the author is given an example of the um, architecture uh, professor who was writing about the Huben spoke and, and 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 really portraying the future of the offices, which is very interesting. And I would like to pick it up in the discussion when I finish um, uh, in in the context of the coronavirus, how this is going going to plan out. But for now, open office is not conducive. Then the, the instant communication, so the messages on Slack, the teams, before was the Skype for business, you know, um, I, I, I completely, I completely agree that, you know, if the, if the environment in the, in the, in the office dictates that you have to be res responding on them instantly, then just, you, you can't really do the deep work. Um, as well as the, you know, the uh, social media, the uh, the internet, um, something that the perfect companion to this, to Carl's Newport book, the, the Make Time book, something we addressed before in the previous podcast, Make Time, the the authors call them infinity pools. So um, uh, all that all the pools of information that's constantly get replenished with the fresh content, uh, with very tempting content, a lot of interesting stuff. So. This is not conducive when you have to do research in the office and, you know, from one thing you jump to another. So they are kind of a three detractors uh, that make deep work is difficult and, and that's rare. Um, then another interesting question that Carl um, answered very well is to do with, you know, how did this destructive destructions get adopted systematically at, as the right thing to do? It's a very, very valid question to ask. Why is that, you know, management um, of, of, the, um, of the companies do support them if, if they are so destructive to the very core ability of us to produce the value um, while we are in the offices? Well, the thing is that um, 
in this new information age, we are no longer, you know, cranking widgets. It's no longer industrial type of economy where we can compare like for like apples for apples. It is actually very difficult and middle management need to understand themselves exactly what people are doing in, 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 the, in their diverse fields to, to actually appreciate and, and value um, their progress on a deep work, which is not very straightforward to measure. So therefore, they seek superficial proxies of progress. People running up and down the stairs, people talking, you know, a lot of paperwork, a lot of commotion. And um, yes, and, and as an outcome, it, it's just hard to measure. Um, you know, my, my personal chat was my very good friend who is a very talented developer. The company that she left, um, and, and, and works for the, for the new startup as the developer. She, I remember she was telling me that the, the middle management, um, that this lady used to ask her quite often why she's staring in the window. Uh, in fact, she, she, she didn't understand, you know, that the, her quality of coding was so good that rarely people after her had to change the code and, and the very fact that she was looking at the window, she was actually thinking how to actually um, make it effective and and write that line of code that, that would actually be of value to the company uh, rather than staring at her screen without interruptions. So needless to say, she left the company, uh, you know, with that very shallow understanding of the work that she was doing. So that's the idea too of the deep work is, is rare and difficult that Carl illustrates in the deep work. And then we off to the really interesting part, um, very enlightening part, um, deep work is fulfilling. So deep work actually is, is making us happy. Um, the author of the book flow, Mihai Csikszent Mihai, he's, um, in, in his book, he, he does write that... Um, uh, Research and flow shows that when people concentrate on worthwhile tasks and are pushed to their cognitive limit, not too hard, not too easy, they actually, that's when they feel most satisfied. So not when we have a lot of free and structured time um, on holidays and, you know, really long holidays, I suppose. <laughs> but that's that, they, these are not the moments that we experience um, deep satisfaction. Um, the moments that we experience deep satisfaction is to do with us doing something that we really, really enjoy. Um, and that was the point of deep work is fulfilling. The second point, and it's also interesting, um, and something was new for me, it, it insulates our mind from many distracting and often negative psychic irritants. I, I didn't know that it's, it's, proven as a protective psychological effect that once our mind is focused on meaningful things actually the other less meaningful things they they're not popping up as as often because uh, we are um, our super powerful brain is insulated effectively and the third point was a little bit more abstract but also very interesting because i find it uh, quite often uh, uh, from Seth Gordon, uh, my, my favorite blogger, um, he, he also writes about it that, you know, it's not about finding, you know, and searching for your 
passion. It's more finding uh, your the meaning in in what you do and, and find the the uh, the traits that, that you do the the, um, the the line of code the the marketing slogan beautiful and, and meaningful and really taken from there uh, so this was on the this was on the about um, how deep work was, is, is making us happy and, and they are literally you know the first half of the book um, I review this point and now we're into second half of the book which is about uh, how do we actually make um, the deep work how do how do how do we do it how do we practice it so with the first rule um, to work deeply um, Carl Newport suggests that we don't just rely on the on the willpower because we only have finite amount of willpower each day what he suggests um, is that we make deep work a ritual or habit um, and so we no longer have to just rely on the willpower. So how do we make this ritual a habit? He gives us uh, four types of deep work scheduling. So uh, first two, I'm going to go very quickly because it's something that pure mortal like us are not going to achieve. <laughs> first is called monastic schedule. It's when you remove as many shallow works tasks from your life as possible. You outsource any necessary shallow work tasks to assistance. You spend nearly all your time on deep work. And like a, like a mom, and your time somewhat isolated and in deep focus on your work. Now, example is some authors go over the grid and not contactable by email or through social media. Okay, the cons are, it's, it's really great. You are in deep work. You're spending most of your time in deep work, but... It's not achievable, right, for for most of people, uh, unless you're becoming really, you know, best-selling author. So the second one is periodic schedules. The periodic one, um, uh, the structure is that you carve out regular periods each week, months, or entire parts of the year. Um, so this one is is um, if you say set aside a full day of deep work per week, uh, so the, the cons would be that um, you'd be able to actually get into the um, real um, deep work and have your full focus because you have the whole day uninterrupted. Again, um, in terms of, you know, it's not that realistic. It's a little bit more realistic than the first one, but um, not for most of the people to have luxury, you know, a whole day or two days per week just, just doing your deep work so the next one is called rhythmic so the rhythmic schedule uh, example would be you set aside a morning you know 8 to 11 a.m and this is your deep work i think it's achievable for most of um certainly self-employed people but then you know in your work environment might not be but say i think again you know maybe not like in my case eight to ten i probably can do each day um working for a client if it's justified so it's it's uh, um it's possible so the cons are that um you're not having full day and so you you won't be able to get you know the the fullest uh, desirable output of those few hours but yet it's it's uh, good enough to actually develop the habit and then the last one is 
It's called journalistic schedule. You just get time when you have time uh, and you take it. So the advantage is it's very flexible. Most people can do it. But um, the cons are it's irregular and it would be difficult to, you know, to, to get the habit um, out of it. So this is on the rule one. Um, what else I found useful is, is about shutdown. And literally just, just for myself, you know, I find those kind of a shutdown routines um, are, are really valuable because this is what I would struggle, you know, to really get it um, out of my mind and really allow it to relax fully. Uh, so he, is, he gives a, um, his own uh, shutdown schedule where he checks email for any last urgent items. He keeps a to-do list of unresolved items. He makes sure every item on to-do list is scheduled to be completed. Um, looks through the calendar, make sure he didn't miss anything important, make a to-do list of tasks for tomorrow. And then he says a phrase that for your brain, it's it means that you finished for today. So in his case, shutdown complete. And that what teaches his, his, his uh, brain to actually prepare for the rest. Um, so for the rule, then two... Um, if in the first one uh, we were discussing uh, how to get the, the maximum of what we currently have, um, the rule number two is about what we do to increase our potential for the deep focus. So in this one, um, in terms of techniques, um, uh, Carl is talking that... Um, He's talking about internet time um, limitation and the periods of time when you um, you're not you're not checking internet and stuff. Um, they're quite self-explanatory. Um, he talks about productive meditation, which I think is good. I don't think I come across this term, and it's it was a little bit um, con conflicting in a way that you know. Um, Productive meditation is actually, you know, when you try not to, not to do the, the work related, but but I can I can see where where Carl uh, finds a, a really great point uh, in in doing it um, in doing problem solving uh, um, thinking while you actually walking or you 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 you're running or you doing you know uh, semi kind of a, a rest activities. Um, I've, I've heard about uh, this really being great um, and people getting great ideas. Uh, if, if you prime yourself and you think yourself, and of course, if you have ability, then record yourself when you're on that walk, when you get this great idea um, and, and you capture it. So Hikal um, uh, advised that like in mindfulness meditation, that you notice when you've lost your focus and bring it gently back to the problem. So you keep kind of thinking of the, of that problem when you're in the semi-relaxed state of mind that works for him. And he advises, um, this is a tactic to improve the, the focus that you have for your deep work. And the second is pretty good is memorization techniques. So he talks about, you know, people, um, that are not naturally having a great memory, but becoming a champions, uh, because of the, the techniques um, that they use and their, their ability to to focus uh, uh, through the through the memorization techniques uh, that they've learned. Um, 
I, I certainly, you know, relate to it um, and, and some techniques that I've used to, to help my daughter to learn Irish and then the geography, making a silly story and then the, uh, the words or par parts of the words to those silly stories. And, you know, I could see instantly how her focus changed and, and how she could uh, much faster than, you know, remember the Irish that, that she would have struggled before. I actually questioned why, um, why not yet the memorization techniques taught in school <laughs> so our children can learn more effectively. Um, so completely um, agree with Carl that they, 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 this, this is a powerful technique. The more we, we use memorization, um, the more we practice, the more we actually improve ability to focus. And so we can improve our deep focus. So that was the rule two. And then after the rule three, um, constraint, you know, your destruction, quit, quit the social media. Um, again, you know, I wouldn't be, um, and, and Isa Carl writes that, you know, you completely quit. It's just what works for each of us. And, and really it's examining, um, do you get more benefits um, from the social media rather than um, disadvantages? So uh, really need to kind of justify your internet usage, reason with it, and, and uh, use what, what you need for, for your business, for your uh, career. Um, that's um, on the rule four. Um, so on the rule three, so the, so the rule four, the last one, is about, you know, cutting out shallow work. Um, how do we do the? How do we reduce the, the shallow work that doesn't uh, uh, doesn't contribute to to our goals uh, as a deep work does? So his advice um, is constrain your work time each day and week. So um, productive type of personality, I, I relate to it. Uh, we just want to get so much done in a day. Um, like we 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 tempted to work endless hours without much rest, but this is no good. And, you know, perfect companion to this book is make time. And authors do talk about this. It's just, we, we have to energize ourselves. We have to allow ourselves um, to be restful. So um, in, in the context of cutting out the shallow work, if we constrain ourselves, we tend to uh, do the deep work. And then, you know, the, the shallow work um, is, is, um, is usually is, is not, as important uh, and, and it could be done or doesn't need to be done. Um, author gives an example of a base camp um, software company where they actually um, cut the, uh, the work days from five days to four work days. And, you know, they've, they've noticed that uh, the, uh, the, the fulfillment, how happy employees were and how productive that they were, the, the old positive signs were, were there that, this is really, really great uh, for the company's culture. Uh, so plan out every minute of your day and quantify depths. Um, this is, again, it's something that if you, if you plan our days in the blocks in the calendar, then uh, we tend to really value the time and prioritize it. And uh, that really works well. 
Uh, Carl talks about setting budget with your boss for shallow work as well. It's it's a good conversation uh, uh, starter. Um, he says, start with a high-level goal. The deep work components of your time generate the most value for the company. Does the boss agree? It's important that deep work not be seen as an indulgent luxury, uh, but rather as the best place to spend time. And that's essentially, that's how you have this conversation. And when, when replying to an email, articulate the current state of things where the ultimate goal is and what is the most effective ne next step. So this is really, really instruction. Quite often, you know, I, I need to do it myself. Um, because you get the lines in email, <laughs> like any thoughts. So, 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 person writes you an email, any thoughts, any questions, without actually looking into the the document, without doing the deep work, and the expectation is that you know your colleague would do so. Um, uh, once again, the the emphasis on the on the deep work becoming so valuable, but also so rare. It's just so right because it's certainly something I see. Um, and his advice, where you um, you respond and 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 you request that the, the person um, articulate the current state of the things, uh, where the ultimate goal is, what is the most effective next steps. If they didn't, or you do yourself with with the example, it it cuts those chains of emails and gets the, the ultimate goal uh, with this project task you're working on um, to be achieved. That This is a really good one. And he gives a really great example uh, in, in the book. Um, uh, like he's saying, the good reply would be, in the next week, send me your notes of everything we discussed about the project. I'll combine it with my own notes, put them a shared, in a shared document, and highlight the most promising next steps. Then let's meet to discuss the problem. And here are six times when I'm available. This is a perfect example how good reply looks as opposed where where were we on that research question? You know, so that's that's the way to do the emails to to cut out that shallow. Um, ball from one course into another and, and really get to the deep work. That uh, was excellent. And I think that's uh, that's pretty much on the structure of the book. Uh, we've gone through the through why deep work is so valuable, so rare, it's so difficult, and it ultimately what makes us really happy and we've gone through the tactics how we can uh, maximize what we already have in the way of current state of our deep work then then you know improve that um and cut out the the, the shallow work um i would like to finish with the with the conclusion that Carl newport um excellently written so deep work is not for everybody. It requires hard work and drastic change to your habits. For many, there is a comfort in the artificial busyness of rapid email messaging and social media posturing, while the deep life demands that leave much of it behind. 
there's also an easiness that surrounds any effort to produce the best things you're capable of producing, as this forces you to confront the possibility that your best is not yet that good. It's safer to comment on our culture than to step into a Rooseveltian ring and attempt to wrestle it into something better. But if you're willing to sidestep discomforts and fears and instead struggle to deploy your mind to its fullest capacity to create things that matter, then you will discover, as others have before you, the depths generated a life rich with productivity and meaning. In part one, I quoted writer Winifred Gallagher, saying, I will live the focused life because it's the best kind there is. I agree. So does Bill Gates. And hopefully now that you have finished this book, you agree to. And that's it. <laughs> nice work. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm... I'm a big fan of the book. I, I, like uh, it was one I like a, a few years ago. I read it. And I think the book review I did at the start of this was a Cal Newport book as well. Um, the one he he was his first book. Uh, so good, you can't ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I've read it pretty much all his stuff. But um, I remember after reading this one, I definitely I played around with the periodic schedule, the rhythmic one, and. Uh, and then the journalistic one. I didn't try the monastic one. I didn't have enough time to do that one. Um, but uh, but it is it does like it's one of those things you kind of intuitively kind of know anyway before there's a term on it, right? So I'd say we all probably know when we might do our best work. But when yeah. you kind of bucket it into those three or four categories, it um it helps. Um, and and I um so like i definitely am a, a big believer in that and and the struggle part is something that i always kind of connect in with that you know if you feel like you're struggling and i think the word you said there was that it's not too hard or not too easy but you know you're doing something that's you know feeling making you feel like your brain is is about to burst sometimes that that for the most part i think as long as it's not you know doing admin type stuff that you have to do at the end of a month or whatever um is it's always good to remind yourself that that's that's a necessary evil i think and, and that kind of sticks with me a lot you know um yeah. and yeah. and just last point i'll make and i'll let let the other jump in it's interesting the the memory memorization techniques you mentioned mm -hmm. i interviewed a guy in the podcast a few years ago um Ben Pridmore, I think the guy's name, he was the world memory champion a couple of times. And he used the, the, the memory palace. Did, did Cal talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, he actually, um, yeah, I think it, he, it, it is memory. He used a different uh, word, um, house, maybe. House was 10 yeah. rooms in the basement, but it is memory palace. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's all. So this guy, Ben, you know, again, wasn't, he just started to develop the memory palace techniques and then was coming up with all sorts of things like and he could rem he, I think his word record was something like he had a couple of word records but one was m remembering some I don't know some fraction to a decimal place of like 10,000 numbers something absolutely ridiculous like that and 
fascinating guy hilarious to listen to but he introduced me more deeply about those memory palaces so yeah like it it all it all well, works you know yeah well it's for me Marianne it's it's really about the like the challenges I think of remote working that that like it's it's a thing that that deep work has never been needed more but it's never been so difficult to do it Is is there any things that you really sort of, the things that work for you that, you know, would be worth sharing? Yeah, on the um, deep work, um, the the Bose counseling earphones, uh, when I was in the open office, uh, they worked for me to, to the extent. And then going to the places where, there's no distracting sound really works for me. Just for my personality, it really does. Um, and um, and it's easy for me to spot the different personalities in the teams that I'm working with. So so when when we had to to work on 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 really deep stuff uh, and and a lot of thinking and writing had to be done on, in one part of a project a few years ago. There was a member in the team, um, quite introverted, but I could see that only she could do that piece of work. And with the open plan office expectation, I just told her, you know, if anybody asks why you're working from home, send them to me. <laughs> I look at myself, I said, it's just, it's not going to be done. If you're going to be in the office, people constantly come into you, you're distracted. Um, and that worked, you know, I said, just three days, take three days, don't come into the office. This is your task, nothing else. I really, really worked. Yeah. And then Marianne, do you know the, the concept of like collective deep work then? So like, do you know, in the office you'd be kind of saying, right, let's go in, let's lock the door and we're not coming out until we have this job of work done. And and that really kind of set the environment for, okay, focus, let's get it done. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's never been more challenged now. Yeah, gosh. Um, from, from the past, so this kind of a collective uh, one, I was uh, lucky to work in this center of excellence in IBM, um, the the hope um, that that they built um, when the manufacturing was, was gone to the China and Singapore in 2010, 11. Um, and they built this excellence um, and they used this type of a hub and spoke uh, principles that actually Carl Newport writes in the book. Um, the, uh, the, the only difference was that the default was everybody in an open place. Um, and then, then when you need to go in and, and, and think easy yourself, you get into the um, uh, sound, sound blocking rooms, or you have a kind of a war type of um, room, war room, they, they called it, where the group of people um, can brainstorm for the whole day. <laughs> so that, that was actually, you know, that, that was working um, um, to the extent if the defaults were changed, where Carl says default should be everybody's in their soundproof, um, deep work type of rooms. And then serendipitously you walk in down the stairs and you meet people and ideas gets bounced and you exchange around the coffee dog. The, I'm behind it. Yeah. That that's kind of a good, um, I don't know whether you guys seen the, the advertisement for the, 
a cabins, like soundproof cabin for one person to, you've seen Rob, yeah? It's just the stuff we are reading, they're popping up. And, and I wonder whether they adopted them to for the COVID, but they originally were designed as a Carl's right? The professor in architecture suggests this Hogan spoke concept where you get into your spoke, your, your cabin, and then you walk to hopes when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, like I, I, I'm not sure. I, I know I've seen them, but um, like I think that, like th- th- that hub and spoke and you know hybrid work was was going to happen in the next five to ten years. I think it's just that it it's accelerated now in the last twelve months that it came along a lot faster than anyone predicted. Yeah. But it's here, um, and yeah, like because he wrote that book probably. 2015 or 16 or so was it it was you know that's right 16 yeah i was actually looking who who wrote make time uh and then so the guys in wrote make, make time they were two years after and I'm like oh okay that's where you got a lot of ideas <laughs> they definitely probably did. did did he mention anything about the like uh, asynchronous work that's kind of getting a lot more traction that uh, it's nothing it's just another name for kind of you know working um like asynchronously um, in in the kind of new hybrid organization, the, the new remote working, where you're not obviously synchronously, you're not just in a live meeting. You're you're doing work. Somebody else will come in and do it. You could work on it, you know, Google Docs asynchronously, things like that. Does does that? Do you talk about that at all? That term? Um. I don't recall, Rob, whether he used synchronous working, but I know what you mean. It's something that I do daily and for the past, like, five years. Um, he, he does give an example of the uh, perfect type of the email feedback where you don't just football with one phrase, but, but you give a, a kind of a plan going forward where he suggests that I will review, um, I'll combine... Um, my written notes with your notes in this shared document and then mm. two of us can can discuss the next step from this in- that's what you mean yeah the, yeah. the shared document. that that type of kind of collaboration but it's oh, yeah. it you it it works well in in a kind of a deep work mindset because you can kind of, even to your point Declan it's like it's like a collective deep work but but not synchronously necessarily it could be asynchronous definitely yeah, definitely. Like the, the, I had to put simple systems very quickly in place um, in the company I consult now, and and it was essentially just with that, you know, simply getting everything on the SharePoint, on the Teams dashboard, um, getting everybody to see what we are doing, and getting people to do their work without everyone in the same meeting. Uh, because there's actually like there's no need. The summary I always produce, and it's in the place called notebook on the teams. The the SharePoint always has the latest um, in the document in the comments. So so suddenly people have a dashboard of all the things that's happening on this project, and they don't feel like they need they're missing out. Um, so yeah, and it, it <coughs> the real benefit as well is that it can unlock flexible working time right so that you're more focused on output rather than all being online from five or eight till five if you're getting your work done in asynchronous mode it it definitely can have that benefit and give that flexibility to take two hours off during the day or whatever you know 
Well, definitely. Actually, now that you said this is precisely the, the what's happening, and, and I thought that I would raise this point. I, I don't remember it in the book, but you see, my availability was only like two, maximum three days, and um, the client um, agreed um, because they actually already quite open-minded. They they have um, a project champion, subject matter expert who is working in this type of asynchronous way, which has two small children. So she would be out um, for a longer lunch, two to three hours in the day. She would do, you know, late in the evening. And um, um, it, it actually works really well. You know, the, the, both of us part-time on the project. And, uh, you know, if we miss out, I could see her work, she can see my work. And then when we are together, we just do the thinking part together. And it actually, you know, works really well um mm -hmm. so yeah and that's quite serendipitous because it's the first time that i'm working with a team um on this type of flexible and very um um asynchronous i need to learn this word arrangement <laughs> and it works yeah, yeah. Cool. you have you come across uh, this in any other companies Asynchronous working. Well, yeah, like a lot of organisations are kind of doing it, maybe without calling it that in lots of ways. But it now is be getting that badge a bit more. Um, but but I think again, <clears throat> because of the flexibility people need, and you're not just working forty hours a week, you're delivering X amount of output a week. And some people could do that in 10 hours. Like I think we mentioned that last time around and some could do it in, in 40, but um, you can be measured on on output in that respect. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's part of the hybrid organization, hybrid work that will happen. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Good. I think one of the things that strikes me is that the more awareness people have about their preferences, about their, uh, I'm going to call it deficits in terms of, so for me, noise, I'm very auditory. So so noise is, is a no-no. No work will happen. Not even the shallow stuff will happen if there's noise going on. Uh, there can be a circus going on in front of me, but if it's silent, grand, that's no problem. And I think the more we understand our own preferences and so, so I also know that when I'm doing pre-COVID, I, I used to do that, you know, running away, I called it, where you'd go for two days to, to just really immerse in something. haven't done that in a while. But even now, I know that if I'm doing it, I have about a 70-minute optimum time frame that I work really, really well. And after that, there's a slight, yeah, it's just I need to, I need to change to something else it does it can be equally but but the, i need some shift in something so it's just even knowing uh so so it, it has changed how i schedule my diary what way i set up my time for that sort of deep work yeah. but it but i didn't know it for years just because i didn't know i wasn't paying attention is how i describe it mm -hmm. and so i think if we begin well certainly for those who are in management of teams to even begin to prompt questions or or ask how do you work well it can make for just much more efficiency much more easily i suspect you know so it's wonderful to hear about that i, I describe my um, so when i'm doing a new project uh, i'm married to a man who's very linear and i go oh my god 
I call mine shotgun splatter. So if you imagine if you blasted off a shotgun and it splattered out there, that's how my process is until it fills and populates with a certain amount. And then I can take it and begin to make something with it. But again, I didn't know that up until a good, you know, a few years ago. So it's just even knowing that this stuff, we have preferences that are, that are, I'm going to say hardwired into us. And if we know it, the sooner we find them out, yeah, the easier we can make it for ourselves and the more productive we can be, you know. Mm-hmm. Ashlyn, you touched such an excellent cool. point. Um, and you're actually helping me to shape my talk. Um, I was invited to my alma mater to give um, a, a talk to students about the skills that are really valuable um, in the real world out there. So my um, my my outline was you know talk about all those kind of uh, skills that people know and then he give them a hook in the beginning that i will tell something that that i wish i knew in my 20s and 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 that i will give it to them and they better pay attention because this is something going to be revolutionary for them and, and will make them so much happy and so much more successful productive and deep worker and so on and that one thing was what you just said um, I actually have written down, and in my way, it was know yourself, N- know what really, really make you to to work uh, effectively and, and 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 be happy, um, human being, um, not irritable, and, and and so on. So, thank you for this. Um, I totally agree. You know, it took me such a long such a long time to actually learn um, and then tell people without apologizing that I cannot work in a lot of noise happening. I'm, I'm also very auditory. Uh, I, I, I cannot work with the radio and the television. My husband, no problem. He needs to have radio and everything. on. I absolutely cannot. And, and it's just this particular type of people, I can only get into real quality work. I can sustain my focus for a very long time, but it needs to be silence so my kind of boses were, were real uh uh but essentially this is going to be my tip like learn about yourself um your preferences um how you learn and and what you what irritates you what doesn't uh, and where you need to improve early on in your career and you'd be so much more happy <laughs> yeah and and be open that that it can tweak and change and may need to tweak and change as you move through different roles or as you age or as different challenges appear it's you know we're we are very dynamic as beings so yeah (laughs) can i ask one question you said very early in the book review you talked about sort of a maximum focus point for people of i think i remember something like four hours like that caught my attention so can you tell me a little bit about that if you have the time yeah yeah um so um the, this, there's been research done, and, and Carl references. Um, I don't remember um, who who did this research. Maybe you can help me, Rob. But certainly, the, the, he, he references that four to five hours is the maximum of um, deep focus that human being can sustain per, per day, um, and and only in cases where you you've trained uh, you you to be focused on the task at hand so it w- will not happen automatically not for somebody who is the beginning you know the college graduate i think there was example 
probably just an hour. Uh, you're starting with an hour of uh, uninterrupted uh, deep work, and then you increase it. And and how to how you increase it? You you keep resisting the uh, the urge to to check and do something else. You you bring attention back on the task, and each time you do it. Um, if I remember correctly, melanin uh, is the substance in our um, melanin, yeah. Uh, oh, myelin. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, thank you. In the brain, whereas um, the more we do, the, the more it's reinforced, and our circuit um, doesn't be, you know, frazzled. It knows that we are in the deep focus and le- help us to be in the deep focus. If I explain it correctly. Great. Okay, I must check it out. It just caught my attention. I went, oh, I see that. So, thank you. I'm looking for it here as well. I, I can't um, can't find the name, but I, I do recall um, th- that kind of four-hour block as kind of one of the, the uh, areas to look at. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we send children to school all the time for long hours and tell them to do three-hour exams and then study afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> So I found um, uh, actually the, the extract uh, from the um, Kindle quote. So the, the scientists increasingly believe the answer includes myelin, a layer of fatty tissue that grows around neurons, acting like an insulator that allows the cells to fire faster and cleaner. To understand the role of myelin in improvement, keep in mind that skills, be the intellectual or physical, eventually reduce down to brain circuits. So this new science of performance argues that you get better at skill as you develop more myelin around the relevant neurons, allowing the corresponding circuit to fire more effortlessly and effectively. So there's no hours, but it, at least we know that the that's what was scientists, that's what they found um, in the workings of the circuits of our neurons. And that's what's damaged when you have MS, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You forgot it was Tuesday, did you, John? I did, yeah. <laughs> I nearly did that earlier. <laughs> Fair play to It's a funny one because the bank holiday and I was working from home and uh, it just slipped my mind. I was okay. sitting here going, going, will I have an early night or will I study? And then I said, oh, the book club, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you read the deep work, John? Like, no, I haven't, and I'm going to have to listen back to this now because um, I have this uh, my method that I've evolved over the years, and I, it's probably totally wrong based on the book now. But I, I don't know. Is um, I take like micro breaks. You know, I could settle down for three, four, five hours work if I had to, and but I I need to stop. You know, maybe fifteen minutes, twenty minutes max. Do something small. Just go. You know take a breath, look at something else, have a, have a coffee, whatever. Uh, and uh, that tends to get me through those long periods, you know, little micro, even like micro rewards. You know, you might say, if I finish this bit, I'll go do that thing. <laughs> and, and do you get, um, um, do you get just to do that small bit, whatever that is, without destruction? Like it's not checking the sites or social media or... Uh, it might be, yeah. I might, I might check Twitter, two minutes, and back to work. You know, just uh, 
Yeah, no, there's times obviously when you're in the zone and you kind of you're in you uh you fall into that period and an hour goes by. But if you're if I'm kind of working on something I and I tend to switch tasks as well, have two tasks at the same time and and uh maybe spend an hour at each, go back and forth. It's it's something that that works for you. Um yeah. that, that, that you and um the Cal Newport references the. Have you heard of Sophie's Leroy, professor in Minnesota, a multitasking experiment? So she she um, she did the um, experiment was the uh, two groups, and one group was asked to switch from one task to another, and they had the residue of the attention in the first task, so they were not as productive with their yeah. second task versus the group who was allowed to finish the first task. So I wonder if. If that's yeah, like this this weekend. Now I had uh, I had an assignment or not an assignment, but I, I had I had to hand something in to college on Monday night, and uh, but I have something for next week and I have something for the week after. So I had the three tasks there in front of me, and I was able to focus on one. And you know, when you just you know when you feel yourself getting a bit bored or not bored, but just you know you're in a rut. Or so I just dropped it, picked up something else. Even if it's a bit of reading, or yeah, or just check something and then go back to it again. So, so it obviously works for you. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I could, I could be <laughs> taking way too long to do everything. As a result, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was. Uh, I think you're also you're familiar with the Pomodoro technique, John. Have you heard of that? I haven't until recently. My daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, started telling me about it. Uh, she has some app on her phone uh, uh, with these uh, times. It's like a little mm-hmm. Apple timer, isn't it? That switches. Yeah. Over, it's yeah. effectively a little stop clock that you set for yeah. twenty five minutes and take a five minute break or, or whatever. Yeah. But they they recommend the one that's traditionally is a twenty five minute and a five minute break. But yeah, yeah, you can do it. It sounds very similar to what you're doing, effectively. Like yeah, yeah. Make time uh, persuaded, um, the authors persuaded uh, me to invest two euro in getting the app. Um, it's called Forest. So not only they they um, funnel the money into planting the forest, you get the uh, you get like a little tree when you need to, or you probably wouldn't see. Um, so you set up, say, like a Pomodoro technique that you, you, you would like to work for, say, half an hour. And if you're switching uh to something else you know your tree is dying it's not growing <laughs> so yeah. it keeps you focused that you really you know your tree is in front of you so don't do anything else just do your task <laughs> works cool. uh. very good john are you uh are you up for doing one in two weeks can you fit it into your schedule i was thinking uh rob could i do one maybe the one after yeah, if no that's problem. okay, no yeah. problem. We're just trying to land you. You haven't done one in a while. <laughs> no, I, and I have a few books lined up. I have. Um, I want to do. Am I right? That thinking fast and slow wasn't done yet. Correct. Yeah, it'd be great to do that though. I've read yeah. it a long time ago, but it'd be great to hear a summary. And uh, Michael Lewis wrote a book about the authors, or one of the authors called The Undoing Project. I think Declan, you started, or you read that early days. So. So I might combine it because one tells the story of the other. So cool. That's innovation for you there. <laughs> and then the other one is uh, 
is one that I've started but I haven't finished. But uh, it's the innovator's dilemma, coincidentally. So I might uh, have a look at that as well. Cool. But no, I'll drop you a mail there next week. But I won't do the, I won't do two weeks time if I do the one after. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Great stuff, Mariana. Thanks a million for for that. Great refresher for me, and I'm sure the others enjoyed it as well. By the sound, very of much so. Thank you very much. That's great. Very good. Thanks a million, Thank guys. Thank and, you uh, very much. Yeah, great we'll see you to be here again. See you again. Take care. Look after Cheers. yourselves. Take care, guys. Bye bye. Hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it. Could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking, leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone. Pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past. Any will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free. And interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy, but only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard, but it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan, be deliberate, take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements and over time you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.